Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. We have a big day today. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He will be with us in just a moment for a National Progressive Town Hall meeting, taking your calls. We can talk about the issues of the day, whatever you'd like. But I want to start out. I want to ask the question, will America be torn apart again? by wealthy white men. There's a fascinating backstory here. That's the title, by the way, of an op-ed that I wrote last week over at HartmanReport.com. Start with the story of Christopher Sheets, S-H-E-A-T-S. Christopher Sheets was a guy who lived in Alabama back in 1860, 1861. And the good people of Winston County which was a, a little backstory. Winston County, Alabama has terrible soil. It's, it's a very hilly, rocky part of the, kind of a unique part of the state. And therefore, it didn't, didn't produce a lot of cotton, and therefore, there were no plantations in Winston County, uh, Alabama, at the time of the beginning of the Civil War. And because there were no plantations, there were virtually no slaves in the entire, no enslaved human beings in the entire county. And because slavery was not at the foundation of the economy of Winston County, Alabama, back in 1861, the people of Winston County, Alabama, got together when Alabama was going to hold their secession conference. They were going to hold a, a, a statewide meeting where representatives from every county would come and vote on whether to secede from the Union, to go along with South Carolina and Georgia and, and say, okay, that's it, we're out of here. So the good citizens of Winston, Winston County in 1861 elected this 22-year-old school teacher. His, his name, as I said, was Christopher Sheets to go to the county and say, we do not want to secede from the union. We want to stay part of the union. And they did. They, they, it was the only county that did not 
you know, participate in, in, in the, now they got, people in the county got drafted, Sheets himself, who voted no at the convention and gave a passionate speech about it, um, ended up being put in jail as a traitor. Now, after the Civil War, President Grant made him the U.S. ambassador to, or uh, uh, charge d'affaire, or whatever they called it back in the day, to Denmark. And then later he went on to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives with, you know, uh, dignity and, and acclaim. But basically what he said was, I'm not going to fight. We don't want to fight. The people in, in Winston County don't want to fight in a rich man's war. Over this last weekend, I just, I just read a book uh, titled Rich Man's War. And uh, it, it just astonished me to discover, I mean, this book just kind of lays it out in detail, how state by state by state, um, what happened was in the, 18, in the period from 1810 to 1830, Eli Whitney's cotton gin, which was a machine that could be run by water power or by a horse just walking in a circle, Eli Whitney's cotton gin could do the work of 50 enslaved human beings cleaning cotton and getting it ready for market getting the little seeds out of it, which is very difficult work. They're very sticky. The cotton grows right through them and are attached right to the outside of them. And so only the largest plantations could afford these things. And they ended up, because they were so much more productive because of the cotton gin, they ended up owning the economy of the South, these large plantations. And reading this book, Rich Man's War, about the Civil War, I was just shocked to discover that in some of, the, some of the southern states, it was fewer than 100 families, or in the neighborhood of 100 families, that basically controlled the entire state and more than half the wealth in the state. And that large chunks of, of the Confederate South had really no interest in fighting the Civil War at all. But the rich people had prevailed. They were the ones who, who got the thing going. Now, down in Winston County, Alabama, they said to hell with that. And a whole bunch of people from Winston County, Alabama, went north during the Civil War and joined up with, with the Union Army and created what was called the First Alabama Cavalry USA, which was a Union uh, I guess you would call it a formation. I'm not sure if it was a division or a battalion or I don't know the size of it, but it, it was a Union military operation that was all people from Winston County, Alabama. Well, here we are today. Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr uh, noted around that same time in the, in the 1830s, uh, actually, it was the, he said that, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. He said it in French, so it sounds a lot fancier, but basically that's what he said. And, and here we are now, uh, Marcella Mulholland writing in the Kansas Reflector, a Kansas newspaper, about the power and influence of the Koch network, uh, noted just two weeks after Trump tried to overthrow our government. He said, earlier this month, when domestic terrorists overran the U.S. Capitol, they did not act alone. Not only did they have the full and express support of the president and other Republican officials, they also had the backing of oil companies that had spent billions of dollars undermining our electoral process and normalizing the rejection of science and facts. And as I lay out in this book, or in this article rather, if you simply replace the word oil with cotton, what you have is what 
American politics were like in the 1860s, in the early 1860s. You had a small number of fabulously wealthy families in the South who had ended democracy in the South. The South was no longer a democracy in 1861. It was a full-blown, what today we would call a fascist state, an authoritarian state that was run by business interests. Thus the, you know, the literal dictionary definition of fascism, the merger of state and business leadership. And, you know, that, that, they drove the Civil War in, in 1861, these wealthy families in the South who were trying to hang on to the wealth that they had as the result of slavery. And now we've got a few hundred wealthy families in the United States who are trying to hang on to their fossil fuel wealth and are willing not just to destroy the republic, but to destroy the planet. And uh, you know this is this is pretty serious stuff. And I and I I think it's astonishing how few Americans really know this history. I I, I really got it reading this uh, Rich Man's War uh, book uh, over this last weekend. That um, this was this was not the the Civil War, the Confederacy. Uh, many of the Confederate soldiers, they had really very little interest in leaving home and fighting a war on behalf of the plantation owners. But they had no choice because the plantation owners had established this police state to enforce slavery. And they used the power of that police state to basically control poor white men and get them into the, into the Confederate military. It's, it's really a, a remarkable story. I mean, white people in the South have repeatedly been suckered into taking the side of oligarchs. You know, in the 1860s, to support the cotton oligarchs, now to support the fossil fuel oligarchs and tax breaks for the ultra-rich. And now they're following a, a libertine billionaire from New York. I mean, can you just imagine, you know, like 10 years ago, if somebody said, you know, the guy who's going to lead the, uh, the Republican Party and get a lot of support from these uh, blue-collar, working-class guys is going to be a, a, a right-wing billionaire from New York who's been married three times and has been accused over 20 times of rape and can't even, doesn't even know, you know, uh, what Corinthians is in the, in the Bible. <laughs> He's going to be there later. And you say, what, are you crazy? <laughs> but here we are. So... Is America going to be torn apart again now that we've got this new network of fabulously rich white men who see their fortunes threatened by political change? I'm getting that sense. And I think we need to call it out. I mean, time will tell, but, you know, and, and we do have now the advantage of looking back on history at the last time rich white men in the 1860s got average people across the country uh, at each other's throats. Now we've got a bunch of rich white men trying to do it all over again. Somebody needs to just say it, and I just did. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. Uh, James in Venus, Texas. Hey, James, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, uh, happy New Year. Thank you. Back at you. 
Okay, uh, Tom, if you remember right, uh, when Ronald Reagan was president, I believe it, this occurred, people were running around saying, oh, I'm just looking out for number one. Mm-hmm. And I think that may have come from some of that Ayn Rand thing where, where selfish, greedy people. Oh, yeah. Ayn Rand you know. was a big deal in the Reagan administration. Yeah. And I, I think that's some of that came from that, yeah. And also, I want to tell you, uh, I have ancestry in, in northern Alabama that served in the Union Army. That's interesting. Were they out of Winston County? No, it was Jackson County. Huh. How about that? So there was more than one. Yeah. They, they're from Jackson County, and uh, the uh, father was uh, a minister. He had two sons, Hosea and Manoa, and I'm descended from Manoa. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, they, they, we tried to find that. We found out what unit they were with, Tom. We couldn't find them in the Confederate Army at all. So we looked in the Union Army, and sure enough, they were in the Union Army. That's amazing. That that happened yeah. a lot, actually, in the Civil War. There were a lot of people who defected out of the South into the North, and it's another one yeah, of the I parts think, of the story that's not often told. I think, Tom, that they were sharecroppers, yeah. and they hated the, the uh, plantation owners. Yep, yeah. The plantation owners, I mean, it was a genuine oligarchy. I, I, I lay it out in some detail in my book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy. There's a whole, like, you know, about uh, maybe a fifth of the book is about that history. And, uh, you know, it continues to haunt us. It just continues to haunt us. Well, James, uh, thank you very much for the call, and thanks for pointing that out. And, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Ayn Rand and Ronald Reagan, two peas in a pod. Rico in Seattle. Hey, Rico, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Hi, I wanted to talk more about reality television. Yeah, go for um, it. I think most of it, the great majority of it, actually, is uh, scripted and uh Thinking as an example of Pawn Stars, which their shop is, uh, is is actually a set with lighting and. Oh yeah, they started. Business. You know, after the writers' strike, they discovered that reality TV sold, but they wanted to improve the the the, the production values of it, and so they actually started right. coming up with storylines and individuals who had to play a character. You're the bad guy. You're the good guy. You're the jilted lover. You're the, you know, and people are, t but there is a certain amount of ad-libbing still in them. But yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think what's important about it is Ronald Reagan was the first reality star. He was an actor, unqualified, having his strings pulled by everyone. I mean, he couldn't even stay awake in meetings. Yep. Yeah, that's and, a good point. Uh, I appreciate talking to you. Okay, yeah, thank you, Rico. Yeah, the Republican Party has been looking for their next Reagan. I think they thought they found him in, in Donald Trump. Who can be the next person who can perform as president? We don't care if they you know, are a good president. In fact, uh, you know, all we want is tax cuts. But can they, can they behave as if they're president? Rico, thank you for the call. We'll be back. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. 
We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So with us is Congressman Mark Pocan, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, member, former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees. Pocan.house.gov is his website. Rep Mark Pocan on Twitter, one of the hardest working members of the U.S. Congress. Congressman, welcome back to the program. And by the way, I, I just wanted to tip my hat to you. Back in May, you were one of four members of Congress who flagged the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, Xavier Becerra, about these uh, direct contracting entities, DCEs, this effort to privatize Medicare. Uh, you, along with Katie Porter, Bill Pascrell, and Lloyd Doggett. And now uh, Pramila Jayapal's letter uh, has been signed by 54 or 53 of your colleagues, including yourself, you know, with you making 54, um, asking them to do that. I just, I, I think it's great that you're doing this, and thank you for carrying that fight for us. And welcome. And yeah. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, happy New Year to you. And, you know, to that end, um, you know, the Biden administration did uh, pause two of the three experiments that were in this area, mm -hmm. and they deserve credit. I don't know why they didn't pause the third and final one, right, which is why, um, you know, I think we've still all been trying to get to them to, to get rid of this, uh, what we think is an awful experiment uh, within Medicare. As you know, we've had this conversation previously with uh, your callers uh, on this program, but uh, I do want to give them credit for pausing two of the three um, programs that were out there. I just uh, don't know why they're still keeping the third one alive. And I think rather than pause, I would say end would be a better end goal. Yeah. Amen. So uh, what's on what's on the top of your mind today? Or or just let me know when you want to just jump over to calls. But uh, you, yeah, no, usually... I just you know, I was reminded that uh, a year ago, Tom, on January 6th, I was on your show. And before the um, well, I won't say, you know, what I was going to say, hit the fan, but uh, that day uh, we, we were on before all that had transpired. And then, of course, the rest of the day uh, will live in history. So, you know, looking back at a year 
you know, that day, many people in both parties uh, spoke out and said the right thing. And then since then, unfortunately, there's been this great whitewashing by too many uh, or silenced by too many uh, as they try to appease uh, their cult leader, Donald Trump, into acting like something didn't happen. And, you know, I hope that uh, as people watch that footage, you can see with your own eyes and, you know, even the most... uh, heavy Kool-Aid drinker from the Donald Trump uh, MAGA campaign must realize that that is not a normal day at the U.S. Capitol. What transpired is real. I know that there's all kinds of other rumors out there now that, you know, who created it and it was, you know, uh, the CIA and all the rest of the stuff. No, uh, it was Donald Trump inviting thousands of his supporters to Washington, and we're trying to get exactly to the bottom of who knew what. But we truly believe there were there was an organized effort behind what happened. Um, and since that was the first breaching of the U.S. Capitol since the War of 1812, it's significant. People should care. And uh, I'm you know, looking forward to seeing um, this and hopefully a, a reinvigorated populace and caring about uh, what happened to our country one year ago. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, before we get to our calls, just a, a, a quick question on my end, if I if I may. You know, Omicron is now something like 95% of infections being detected in New York. Uh, it's, it's just burning through the country right now. And I'm wondering how this is affecting you, how it's affecting Congress, how it's affecting the business of government. And, and um, you know, is there anything we need to know about with regard to that uh, in that context, you know, in, in, in how this might be disruptive to our, our processes? Yeah, it's going to be disruptive to everything for about a month or maybe a month and a half still. I remember a couple of weeks ago when Dr. Jha said a quarter to a third of all Americans were going to get Omicron, and it barely got picked up. And I was like, wait, wait, did I hear that correct? I had to rewatch the interview. And then um, since then, just a couple of days ago, I heard him say that he thinks by the early March, we actually may largely be out of this for the first time in two years because this is so widespread right now. It does seem to be less lethal, um, but it's absolutely more contagious. So what we're seeing are are schools that can't quite open, police and fire with 25% of the people unable to work on any given day. Uh, it's certainly going to be disruptive in the short term. My hope is that what he said uh, in the long term is also true, though, that this may help us get largely out of this. So um, be careful right now. Uh, you know, at the Capitol, uh, unfortunately, Republican uh, members and often their staff still don't wear masks. I've got reports of that still this week. I think you're going to see uh, a lot of people not coming to Washington and working remotely, rightfully so, between flight issues and problems with Republicans who simply refuse to accept any reality. Uh, you know, it's not safe. Uh, people need to be you know, cautious. And But this also uh, hopefully will get us all out of this. So we're going to have a period of some disruption for, you know, the rest of January and maybe a little into February. But I, I'm hoping that Dr. Jaws right and we'll have some cleansing coming out of this as well. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Well, let's pick up some phone calls here. Congressman sure. Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls. Morris in Long Beach, California. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, good morning to everybody within the sound of my voice. Congressman, good morning particularly to you. I want to talk to you about the Congressional Sergeant of Arms, the Congressional Sergeant of Arms. What are the responsibilities of the Congressional Sergeant of Arms? Who, who directs the uh, Sergeant of Arms? Because I know when I go to court, when I'm not allowed, but when I've gone to court, there's a bailiff in there, and the judge directs the bailiff. If the judge tells the bailiff to put out his gun, he's going to do it. So who directs the Sergeant of Arms? Uh, who is that individual, and what are their responsibilities? And thank you for giving me this time, Mr. Tom Hartman. Thank you, Morris. 
Yeah, well, thank you, Morris. And hopefully I'll get it all right. But, you know, it is uh, our structure is interesting. We just had a call yesterday and we had the sergeant of arms as well as the police chief. And there is a difference. The sergeant of arms is appointed um, by uh, the speaker. So, you know, she recently um, did that uh, with a, a new person. And then uh, we also have the Capitol Police that are in charge of our efforts. But sergeant of arms is kind of you know overall for the Capitol and for the, the House in charge of our safety. So yesterday we had a call largely about uh, safety measures post-January 6th that, you know, give us a better way to make sure there are protections in place where there may have been some more lax protections in the past. So Sergeant Arms kind of has that oversight. Uh, Capitol Police directly, I think, is not something that uh, a single person has direction on. That's why uh, it it gets a little confusing when you see the interviews and who's in charge of what. But our uh, Sergeant of Arms is in general charge of our security as members of the House. So when I, for example, travel overseas, it's the Sergeant of Arms office that will often give us a briefing about the country we're going into, along with the Secretary of State's office, uh, I'm sorry, the, yeah, Secretary of State's office in order to give us uh, information about our safety. But they, uh, in general, are responsible for House members, and uh, that's what that position is, Morris. That's fascinating. Omar in Herndon, Virginia, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Sir Tom Harmon, Laura Mark Pocan, good day to you and Happy New Year. Um, Mr. Pocan, <clears throat> Joe Manchin said that he couldn't explain uh, Bill Back better to his constituent. You know, it just, the first thing I thought about is crystallizing the importance of the fairness doctrine. Is Congress going to look at the fairness doctrine so we can get more information about bills and about different things throughout the country? And the second thing, if Bill Blackberry can pass, um, can we do it through executive order? Can we do like a piecemeal with the executive order? Thank you. Yeah, so to the first question, I, I think Congress's largest focus going in uh, for the next several months is going to be trying to still finish Build Back Better without having to watch the daily Joe Manchin show um, in order to get uh, you know some answers on it and looking at voting rights and trying to figure out a way to get that through the arcane process that the Senate follows. Um, to the second part, yes, there are some provisions that can be done through executive order. The Progressive Caucus has recommended that the president take those actions now uh, to get some of those things in place. But, you know, they're not as permanent as anything we would do in Build Back Better, because once something's in statute, it has a permanency that can't be taken away just by another president like an executive order can. So, yes, uh, the answer, Omar, is uh, some of the things can, but uh, it's hard to move around money and other things. That's where you need Congress. So uh, the real thing we need to do is get Build Back Better done. Um, There still are conversations happening uh, behind the scenes in the Senate to do just that. We'll be back with Representative Pocan in just a moment. You can check his website at pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Stick around. We'll be right back. in Rockville, Maryland. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Thank you so much, and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Um, Congressman, um, I'm uh, going to go back to the advent of uh, alt-facts and the impact it has had on your organization and uh, the country, and I'd like to know what you think about um, taking care of that problem um, before it happens rather than after it happens by virtue of maybe a um, 
neutral or nonpartisan person acting in a capacity to administer discipline and communication of, uh, and, and I'm not worried about First Amendment rights, I'm worried about designing a, um, a policy that runs your organization that deals with disruption to the organization as the offense. Not the organization being Congress, you mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. So, you know, it's it's something that I, I think led to January 6th. I think your your committee's finding finding that out. Uh, it's led to numerous other. It's I think it's dividing the country uh, in so, racial terms and so, immigration terms. That's it. Uh, okay. Just thank love you, to hear you, your answer. You. Bye bye. Yeah, Tim, I, I'm hoping I understand. I mean, so I think we, we already have that ability at Congress itself. Um, you know, we've had a vote to reprimand some members. Um, we have the, the various institutions, whether it be Capitol Police, Sergeant's Arms Office, other, other uh, entities that can provide uh, for the normalcy, I think, is what you're looking for. Um, that happens. You know, the problem really has been in the last year you don't have – two political parties working together to have respect for the institution of Congress that will exist long after I'm not in Congress and, uh, you know, for, for all of us. That's the real problem. So when we put together a commission to deal with 1-6, January 6th, and Republicans won't participate formally, uh, and we had to do it more informally, I mean, the real problem is Kevin McCarthy needs to stand up to the cult leader, Donald Trump, and they've refused to. It's something we've never had before. This is a phenomena that hasn't existed. And until uh, somehow they decide that they're a political party again and not just an extension of the Trump operation, uh, that's at the fundamental core, uh, I think, of, of what we really have. But I, more people need to be institutionalists. I consider myself an institutionalist that, you know, I respect an institution that's been there way before I have and will be there way long after uh, I'm, I'm there. We need everyone to have that sort of approach towards Congress. Rondi in Vashon, Washington. You're on the air with the representative of POCAN. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm calling to find out whether how anyone could possibly believe when Trump watched the riot for more than an hour and a half that Antifa or the CIA or any, any other left-leaning organization could possibly have been involved, because otherwise he would have stopped it. Yeah, Rondi, you are being far too common sense. Why <laughs> you're, you're, you're having way, you're showing way too much common sense. I, I agree with you. How can you watch what happened? And then we now have members of Congress who even that day said, President Trump, call off your troops. Everyone that day seemed to speak out of one voice as an institution. And now people are saying what well, was like any other tourist day at the Capitol. <laughs> I mean, Tom, we have video that shows it different, but people are ignoring their own eyes because the Republican Party has become a cult. And that is truly the fundamental problem uh, that exists. So that's why we have this commission to find out if there were people involved, which I clearly believe there were that had organized this. They need to be punished. I wish more Republicans who weren't involved would still speak out. But I understand uh, Donald Trump has huge sway in Republican primaries. But, Rondi, I mean, you're, you're speaking with way too much common sense. Uh, we have all seen what's happened, and yet people are willing to ignore what they see with their eyes and believe these other conspiracy theories because Donald Trump has said so. And uh, that's just an incredibly sad state of where we are. 
One minute to the break. John in San Francisco, you have a quick one for Congressman Pocam? No, but I'll try, Tom. Um, thanks for listening. Um, I give uh, Congress on the January 6th committee about a three-star rating, and I don't think they can go any higher without police powers. So given that, couldn't uh, Merrick Garland announce a special prosecutor today and um, also announce that he's stepping down as AG and we could put someone like Liz Warren in? Or I, I don't want to put Klobuchar in, but somebody like that. that Sheldon Whitehouse. He. Yeah. But um, let's get the answer here, John. Before you answer, before you answer, can you can you and I and Tom all say together in unison, lock Trump up. Yeah, lock go. Trump Got up. It. Thank you, John. Yeah, John, I'll tell you, I don't think you're going to see Merrick Garland step down. You know, it's just not going to happen. That not seeing that scenario. I, I think the real thing is, though, the Department of Justice has to enforce subpoenas because they, subpoenas have to mean something like they always did prior to Donald Trump. And if we can do that, we'll get to the truth and you can upgrade that star rating of how they're doing. There you go. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Cocaine in just a moment. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Ed in Chicago, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yeah, uh, Congressman, first of all, I don't mean this to be disrespectful. It may come across that way, but I have a ton of respect for all of you who are serving. But it, it comes down to language and, and trying to break through, using language to try to break through to the, to the corporate news. Are there any Democratic members who are in safe districts who can start calling these fascists fascists? 
I mean, the, the, the impression I get to from talking to people who, who don't listen to this station and only show up for the presidential election and who we need to reach for 2022, the impression that they are getting is that the, the only people who aren't aware of how close we are to losing our democracy are the, the, the Democrats in, in, in Congress right now. When, are you, when is anybody going to start using language that will break through to the corporate news? Got it, Ed. Everybody knows. Got yeah, it, Ed. Thank you. It. Yeah, Ed, I'll be blunt. I don't think the corporate news is going to put you on to talk about uh, fascism. Uh, that's not how they operate. They they put you've probably seen the same people on over and over and over. Some of that is because leadership uh, gives those uh, to certain members. Uh, that's why you see it all uh, over and over. And some of it's because uh, you know the, of a person's committee or a caucus or something they're involved with. But uh, it's it's not as though uh, they're going to look for folks to to say that and i don't really think it'll solve the goal of what you're looking for either what we need is the corporate media to actually uh look at the news that's going on in a way that doesn't just help them sell detergent and that's the problem right now uh, that's uh, they put on what they think is sexy that will bring in uh, viewers sometimes it's not totally accurate sometimes it's uh, not totally uh, on target to what's going on but you know, look how little has been said about what's in the Build Back Better bill compared to what day we were going to vote on it, right? That's a fight we had for months uh, with the big corporate media. I, I don't think one member is going to change that because uh, they just won't put you on. They control that. And uh, I don't know if it's as simple as uh, a word uh, fascist. I think it's really getting out there and talking about what's happening and connecting with people. And I was taught through journalism school decades ago uh, that you need to talk at a, at a level that people will understand so that uh, you can get across these concepts. And I think that's our real goal is, you know, sometimes we talk in paragraphs rather than headlines, and Republicans are better than talking at headlines. That is a fair criticism, criticism and I think we need to get much better at it. Abby in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Good morning and Happy New Year to you both. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, but I try to stay a little well-read on this stuff. And my understanding is that in a court of law, if somebody takes the Fifth Amendment, you're not allowed to hold that against them. You're not allowed to say, oh, they must be guilty if they're taking the Fifth. My question is whether that same thinking applies in congressional hearings and in depositions and so on. In other words, when Roger Stone's taking the Fifth and that makes him look as guilty as sin, can we make that presumption outside of a court of law in these these hearings and such. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the public in, in calling from Wisconsin, thanks so much, uh, my home state, uh, certainly people get that, right? And, and the problem is right now, people are being subpoenaed. They're just refusing to come because either they're, one, not going to be in a position where they won't answer questions, or two, they, if they actually answered questions, uh, they'd probably uh, be culpable somehow themselves or put other people at risk. So what they're simply doing is the, the Donald Trump way, which is refusing to participate in a legal process, which is why the Department of Justice ultimately, I think, has to act on these subpoenas and force people to either come and testify, uh, even if it is just to plead the fifth, or sit on a slab in a jail. Um, because we can't allow people to not uh, make this democracy work. And right now under Donald Trump, uh, from Steve Bannon to so many other people, uh, they're choosing the Trump way rather than the Democratic way, small d Democratic way. And uh, we need to get people to, to do what they've always done prior to Donald Trump, even if it's hard, even if, and if it's not uh, good for them, uh, but they have to follow the law. And right now Donald Trump uh, largely has encouraged people not to follow the law. 
Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yes, thank, thank you, Representative Pocan. Uh, uh, I want to see the Democratic Progressive Caucus become, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Medicare here because that's how you and Tom opened up, uh, much more aggressive and astute and quick on the draw in pointing out the failures of Republicans in Medicare policy and, and lack of any policy, but they're, they're complete failures and have been for decades and decades. And I want to point something out. I, last night, a night of insomnia, I began to wonder, why did Ronald Reagan say, there you go again, to Jimmy Carter? And I was astonished when I looked up on YouTube to find out they were debating Medicare. And Jimmy Carter was trashing Ronald Reagan's record about trashing Medicare back in the 19, early 60s. And Jimmy Carter was talking about the same kinds of progressive reforms and policies to Medicare that we're trying to get through now, 42 years later. And Ronald Reagan said, there you go again, distorting my record. It's not that I object to care for seniors. I supported a different plan. And Jimmy Carter should have said, that's right, you supported elder care, which we had in 1960, and failed in less than three years. That's when we got Medicare, after the Republican policy failed. We have two failures in Medicare Advantage and a prescription deed program. They are cost busters, and we're not pointing it out. I guess they're too big to fail. We have to keep funding them. But we need to start pointing out that Republicans have nothing but failures on that record. And Reagan also had a stolen copy of uh, Carter's debate prep. Congressman? Yeah, Paul, I, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say it's, it's a bigger problem than just Republicans. We have 120 or 121, I believe, sponsors of Medicare for All in Congress. You need 218 votes to pass something. It's not just Republicans that are wrong on it. There's a huge special interest lobby in Washington and in states that fight against this because of the profit uh, that's out there under the current system. So it's not just Republicans in this case. Uh, this is a case where the special interests have way too much influence, period. Uh, we need to do more grassroots support in educating. And I agree. Um, you know, I wish that uh, the mainstream media would let us on to talk about why Medicare for All makes sense instead of uh, what they often talk about, which is whatever the daily horse fight is. Uh, they like to you know, talk about that rather than, than substantive subjects. But um, it's a bigger problem than just Republicans. We, we are fighting a very powerful special interest lobby that want to keep the system the way it is or change it to create even further privatization when we all know uh, every other you know country in the democratic world has some sort of single-payer system so we should have it as well susan in seattle you're on the air with congressman pokan oh hi congressman pokan and sorry let me uh, sorry hi thanks for taking my call i'm calling because i i'm the Omicron messaging from the White House, and also now it seems like from governors and my uh, federal rep, uh, Adam Smith, seems to be that they want to deny what's happening in hospitals and schools. And after the message, after the meeting with the governors, I thought maybe he was saying, this is all on you, the federal government won't be helping you. But now my governor, and I heard from someone, the one in California, they've gone kind of radio silent. And it's just schools are safe, vaccine works, vaccine works. It's all about vaccine, nothing about ensuring ventilation and um, masking. So it feels like we're being um, kind of diluted or, or gaslit here. And I'm wondering if you know, is that what's happened in D.C.? Is that the 
the top-down message that maybe the economy just can't take something like a lockdown. And it looks like it's possible that we run the risk of having lockdowns through schools because of sick people and also hospitals. So it could happen in a pretty chaotic way and not really be that great for the 2022 midterms. What do you think about that? Sure, Susan. Um, so I, I do think, I mean, there are some that are concerned on that. But I, I mean, I'll tell you how I talk about it. You know, we have a mask mandate in my county, Dane County, Wisconsin, and it's always made us one of the safest counties in the entire state. We also have a high vaccination rate, um, but we have a, a mask mandate and that's protected us. Right now, we know with Omicron, it's not just a mask, it's an N95 or a KN95 that's going to protect you the best. And even if you're vaccinated, you may still get this. We're seeing that happen, but you'll be far safer as far as long-term consequences it also looks like so while the cases are going up i look at that new york times chart every day several hundred percent where i think we had what seven hundred thousand plus people in one day test positive uh the deaths are still going down by a couple percent so the good news is this is a uh, omicron is a less deadly but far more contagious uh, variety now most recently dr Zha, who i have a lot of respect for and often consults with the house democrats on this has said that he thinks the next two months a quarter to a third of all people will get omicron but after that he just recently said this in an interview he thinks that we're going to be in a pretty good place maybe the best place we've been for a couple of years because uh, a lot of the folks that haven't been protected uh, will now have some protections in place because of what happened but i i completely think that wearing a mask is the single smartest thing our schools are virtual this week only because there aren't enough staff there um, able to work. I heard at one point New York had 25% of its police and fire unable to work because of this. You're going to have a tough uh, month of January and maybe a few weeks into February uh, going as we get through this. But I'm hopeful that at the end of this, we actually may be at a point that we could have been a long time ago if Donald Trump would have taken this seriously in the very beginning. Yeah, if only. We, we are literally the worst in the world for deaths and infections. It's just, and it's, it's all the, the, uh, the legacy of that, Congressman. Sasha in Kent, Washington, listening on KBCS. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, boy. Um, I want to thank you, Representative Pocan, for follow-up on the awful Medicare disadvantage scams. But I'm calling to say we have a branding opportunity, and we ought to take advantage of it. For the rescue supplies that are going to Kentucky and soon to Colorado, we should be stamping on every tarp, on every two-by-four, on every check, stamp the word something like climate crisis relief supplies, some, some other catchphrase. Other uh, administration took advantage of branding opportunities like that. So should we. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, my main thing, uh, Sasha, is I would love to have us uh, direct more of our defense dollars towards defense of the country in the terms of climate change, not just to private contractors, right? And I think there's some ways we're working on this uh, moving towards the, the future. And Barbara Lee and I um, have founded a Pentagon Spending Reduction Caucus that, you know, this is one of our focuses. So I, I know what you're saying, and I agree that we should be putting 
far more efforts into that uh, because it is uh, just like investing in pandemics. Uh, all these things are in defense of the country, and, and that's good branding. Um, I also will say, Tom, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to have Lloyd Doggett on, but Lloyd, one of my colleagues, who's one of those four that signed that letter back in May, um, you know, he really is kind of the expert on this. He serves on the Ways and Means Committee. And, um, you know, I, I think he would be great to have on your program because uh, he has been doing this for a very long time. And, um, you know, we need to get more of this information out for the public to understand how these programs work. Sean has uh, reached out to his office. We have not. I'm sorry. Oh, she says they're, they're working on a date right now. So, yeah, good news. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a great colleague of mine. Uh, a good friend. And, um, you know, this and prescription drugs, Tom, ask him about that, too, because I don't know if there's another expert in Congress uh, other than Lloyd Doggett when it comes to an issue like that. Cool. Thank you. Ed in Belfair, Washington, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Oh, Happy New Year, gentlemen. Representative Pocan, my question has to do with greed, and it's all about the inflation that we're having. Everything that I'm reading and everything that I'm looking up and every and stuff is that the the profits are going off the charts um i think it's all greed i was just kind of curious to what your thoughts are on the inflation part of it um it, i don't see why uh pharmaceutical companies and and ag companies are that are controlling everything should have the right to just raise prices whenever they feel like just to make the one side look worse than the other side thank you it's called monopoly yeah, and a lot of it is greed. And let me give you a couple uh, examples. Um, one, I followed when back uh, last year, I think it was March, might have been April, uh, in Texas when they, their, their infrastructure for energy was not equipped for cold weather and they had a, a big shutdown and it affected oil processing and gas prices went up. But they never really went back down. And I do think part of that was just gouging by the oil industry. And I believe the Biden administration believes that as well. And they've said that. I wish maybe it was said more aggressively. But I do think that's part of why we're paying what we're paying uh, for, for in the pumps. Also, um, the reason we've had some shortages on goods, and, and whenever you have shortages on raw products, and I'm a small business owner for 34 years, um, you're going to see prices go up because there's scarcity in the market. But much of that is because people were trying to save money by producing things cheaply overseas. Again, greed. So you're right. Greed comes to much of why we have the inflation we have. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congress and Pocan in just a moment. You can find his website at pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan here on the Tom Hartman Program. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And Justin in Maui, Hawaii, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, I was watching the Secretary of Education talk about possible policies to address the teacher shortage crisis. My school, first quarter, we had 326 staff absences, which was 7.2 staff absences a day, 1.5 no subs per day. 
and that's got to at least triple this quarter. So my question is, do you see Congress or are the president offering new federal policies to address the sub shortage, teacher shortage, um, and bus driver shortage moving forward? Yeah, Justin, I, I do think that's something that the White House is going to focus on uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, you know, like I said, in, in Madison, Wisconsin, in my district, my biggest city, uh, you know, the reason they're going virtual this week uh, is because they can't, they don't have enough staff to operate the buildings uh, because of Omicron. So, you know, whether it be short term, like something like this, uh, or longer term, you know, we actually lost a lot of people who had interest in being teachers. Uh, Tom, when Scott Walker became governor, when he attacked public employees, we watched um, the people applying to the School of Education. We have a great School of Education here at UW-Madison uh, decline significantly because they, you know, part of what people want is to be respected in their profession. And Scott Walker and so many like Scott Walker don't uh, respect teachers. So we have a lot to do to show that respect uh, to the profession, to make sure that we've got good people going into education, that they're being compensated and treated fairly for it. And there have been too many attacks on teachers across the country. The good news is we saw, you know, through strike actions, uh, even in places like West Virginia, we saw, you know, teachers fighting back and winning. Uh, but we need a lot more of that. From uh, Hawaii to the East Coast, Michael in Bronx, New York, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Happy New Year, gentlemen. You know, given the revelations that we have seen and heard regarding the January 6th investigation committee in regards to last year's insurrection and this talk of issuing subpoenas to four um, co-members of Congress, mainly on the GOP side, and now this talk of issuing subpoenas to um, the likes of Fox News on pundits, namely Sean Hannity. Um, what about also um, those in the Senate, the GOPs in the Senate? I'm looking at particularly those that, who not once but twice acquitted Donald Trump in the impeachment um, in the impeachment trials, those that were lock, stock, and barrel on Trump's side and just defending him and let him right. get so in Michael, your so question. So my, that's my question. What are the chances of the Senate, um, those in the Senate, being held to account? Okay, got well? it. Thank you. Yeah, I hear you, Michael. Um, yeah, I think anyone who, if they have an inkling, could have been involved, has to be brought before the committee, because at the end of the day, I don't think it was widespread, every Republican member of Congress at all. But I do think there were a number of members of the House and maybe the Senate who knew what was going on, who helped to uh, foment what happened, and certainly people within the administration who may have. And uh, for the simple reason of respecting the institution in our republic, uh, we have to do that. When you have the first breach since the War of 1812, uh, that's significant in trying to whitewash it uh, and, and, you know, continue to drink Trump Kool-Aid over it. it, it time is over. And I'm hoping that people will use their eyes uh, and their minds rather than their ideological beliefs uh, as they look at this and realize that regardless, uh, it's in the best interest of the longevity of our democracy to, to get to the bottom of this. John, listening to X-Ray FM here in Portland, Oregon. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Good afternoon or good morning. Uh, happy 22, gentlemen. Congressman Pocan, my question is, what can truly patriotic Americans do to mark the passing of the thwarting of the attempted insurrection January 6th. Speaking for myself, 
Um, and the, in the, over in the UK, they uh, have the Parliament uh, Bonfire Day when Guy Fox tried to blow up Parliament and failed. And now they have fireworks and, you know, a day off and drinking and so forth. So what should we do? It's a great question, John. Um, you know, I think anything you can do to talk about your community and just do it in simple terms. You know, you've seen it with your eyes. Don't believe what you're being told. I mean, you know, don't if, if the, the MAGA crowd is telling you something other than what you've seen, maybe you have to second guess the MAGA crowd, not your own eyes. Uh, I think that message needs to get out from people from a person-to-person level, from the family members and your friends and your coworkers, as much as possible. You know, you th- there's going to be a, a. I'm sorry, Tom. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at the clock. We got a 20 seconds. Do you think that we should oh. memorialize this with something like Pearl Harbor Day? You know, I, I think that's a good idea. Something to really make sure that we always remember this. I know there's going to be a simple memorial this week. The problem is. Um, because of Omicron, it's not going to be, I think, uh, what it, it should be. But mm-hmm. I think uh, we do need to make this go down in history as what it is, the first attack on the United States Capitol since the War of 1812. That's significant and deserves a significant marker. Do you think that um, would it require any Republicans to pass Congress, just a memor- you know, just memorializing the date? You know, I, I would hope we'll get more to speak out, right? That's been one of the saddest things of the last year. People who on one six uh, spoke the courage of their convictions and now can't seem to find them. Yeah, I'm with you. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by again today. It's always great talking with you. Yeah, same here, Tom. Thanks so much. Take yeah. care. Yeah, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from Robert Wright's brilliant new book, Why Buddhism is True, the Science and Philosophy of Meditation and Enlightenment. This is from the first chapter, which is titled Taking the Red Pill. We're on page three. He's talking about the movie The Matrix. I saw The Matrix in 1999, right after it came out, and some months later I learned I had a kind of connection to it. The movie's director, the Wachowski siblings had given Keanu Reeves three books to read in preparation for playing Neo. One of them was a book I had written a few years earlier, The Moral Animal, Evolutionary Psychology and Everyday Life. I'm not sure what kind of link the director saw between my book and The Matrix, but I know what kind of link I see. Evolutionary psychiatry can be described in various ways, and here's one way I had described it in my book. It is the study of how the human brain was designed by natural selection to mislead us and even enslave us. Don't get me wrong, natural selection has its virtues, and I'd rather be created by it than not be created at all, which, so far as I can tell, are the only two options this universe offers. Being a product of evolution is by no means entirely a story of enslavement and delusion. Our evolved brains empower us in many ways, and they often bless us with a basically accurate view of reality. Still, ultimately, natural selection cares about only one thing, or I should say cares in quotes about only one thing, since natural selection is Just a blind process, not a conscious designer. And that one thing is getting genes into the next generation. Genetically-based traits that in the past contributed to genetic proliferation have flourished, while traits that haven't have fallen by the wayside. And the traits that have survived this test include mental traits, structures and algorithms that are built into the brain and shape our everyday experience. So if you ask the question, what kinds of perceptions and thoughts and feelings guide us through life every day? The answer at the most basic level is not the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that give us an accurate picture of reality. No, at the most basic level, the answer is the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that helped our ancestors get genes into the next generation. Whether those thoughts and feelings and perceptions give us a 
true view of reality is, strictly speaking, beside the point. As a result, they sometimes don't. Our brains are designed to, among other things, delude us. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Some of my happiest moments have come from delusion, believing, for example, that the tooth fairy would pay me a visit after I lost a tooth. But delusion can also produce bad moments, and I don't just mean moments that, in retrospect, are obviously delusional, like horrible nightmares. I also mean moments that you might not think of as delusional, such as lying awake at night with anxiety, or feeling hopeless, even depressed, for days on end, or feeling bursts of hatred toward people. Bursts that may actually feel good for a moment, but slowly corrode your character. Or feeling bursts of hatred toward yourself. Or feeling greedy, feeling a compulsion to buy things, or eat things, or drink things, well beyond the point where your well-being is served. Though these feelings, anxiety, despair, hatred, greed, aren't delusional the way a nightmare is delusional, if you examine them closely, you'll see that they have elements of delusion. Elements you'd be better off without. And if you think you would be better off, imagine how the whole world would be. After all, feelings like despair and hatred and greed can foster wars and atrocities. So if what I'm saying is true, if these basic sources of human suffering and human cruelty are in large part the product of delusion, there is value in exposing this delusion to the light. Sounds logical, right? There's a problem that I started to appreciate shortly after I wrote my book on evolutionary psychology. The exact value of exposing a delusion to the light depends on what kind of light you're talking about. Sometimes understanding the ultimate source of your suffering doesn't by itself help very much. Let's take a simple but fundamental example, eating some junk food, feeling briefly satisfied, and then only minutes later feeling a kind of crash and maybe a hunger for more junk food. This is a good example to start with for two reasons. First, it illustrates how subtle our delusions can be. There's no point in the course of eating a six-pack of small powdered sugar donuts when you're believing that you're the Messiah or that foreign agents are conspiring to assassinate you. That's true of many sources of delusions that I'll discuss in this book. They're more about illusion, about things not being quite what they seem, than about delusion in the more dramatic sense of the word. Still, by the end of the book, I'll have argued that all of these illusions do add up to a very large-scale warping of reality, a disorientation that is as significant and consequential as out-and-out delusion. The second reason junk food is a good example to start is that it's fundamental to the Buddha's teachings. Okay, it can't be literally fundamental to the Buddha's teachings, because 2,500 years ago when the Buddha taught, junk food as we know it didn't exist. What's fundamental to the Buddha's teachings, though, is the general dynamic of being powerfully drawn to sensory pleasure that winds up fleeting at best. One of the Buddha's main messages is that the pleasures we seek evaporate quickly and leave us thirsting for more. We spend our time looking for the next gratifying thing, the next powdered sugar donut, the next sexual encounter, the next status-enhancing promotion, the next online purchase. But the thrill always fades, and it always leaves us wanting more. The old Rolling Stone lyric, I can't get no satisfaction, is, according to Buddhism, the human condition. Indeed, the Buddha is famous for asserting that life is pervaded by suffering. Some scholars say that's an incomplete rendering of his message, and that the word translated as suffering, dukkha, could, for some purposes, be translated as unsatisfactory. The book is Why Buddhism is True, The Science and Philosophy of Meditation. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it.
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 